are Locked On 49ers, your daily San Francisco 49ers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On 49ers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team Every day, Brian Peacock here, your host with you on this Tuesday edition of the program. I like bringing new voices and new folks and new ideas onto the show. So first timer, Tommy Call the Third will be my guest today. He is a writer at 957thegame.com. The Raiders Wire, you can find his draft thoughts at the Upside Pod. We're going to spend most of this episode breaking down Debo Samuel and what skill set he will be bringing to the 49ers wide receiver group. And I want to ask him, uh, we agree, I think, a lot on who Debo Samuel is and how much we like him as a fit for the 49ers. But I think we might disagree a little bit about uh, the 49ers secondary and where they're at there and if that group is ready for prime time and if the pass rush was enough bringing back pretty much the entire secondary from last year that ranked near the bottom of the NFL as far as coverage grades go, if uh, that pass rush is enough to take that 49ers secondary over the top in 2019. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review the show on the new Himalaya podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. You can find this show on Spotify as well. You can find me on Twitter at BDPeacock. Email locked on 49ers at gmail, locked on 49ers.com. And now let's get to today's guest. My guest today is Tommy Call. You might know him from his writings at 95.7 The Game, and he also does an NFL draft podcast called The Upside Pod. And I heard Tommy with my friend of the show, Ryan Covey, doing a little draft show, a draft-specific special for 95.7 The Game. So that was cool. I had to have Tommy on the show, talk a little Niners, talk a little NFL draft. So, Tommy, thanks for uh, joining me here today. Of course, Brian. Uh, you know, I love everything that you guys do over there with the lockdown stuff, and I'm, I'm excited to join you, man. It's a fun time of the year. I know Debo Samuel is someone you like a lot, so we're going to get deep into Debo Samuel. This will basically be the Debo Samuel show. We'll try to cover uh, all of the angles of what kind of a player he is, how he might fit into the 49ers, and I think we might differ a little bit in our feelings about the 49ers secondary and where they're at and if enough was done in the offseason and if that unit is done. A little coverage versus pass rush talk here at the end of the show, and uh, and we'll get into some of that stuff too. But let's start with Debo Samuel, 5'11", 214 pounds, the wide receiver out of South Carolina. First of all, the number 36 overall pick early in the second round. I had him as my third wide receiver in the draft, so I like the pick as well. How did you feel about the fit for Debo with the 49ers? Yeah, I, I loved it. I would say, uh, you know, starting off, Debo Samuel was one of my favorite players that I got to watch out of, uh, you know, every draft-eligible prospect. I was a little higher on him than most, to be honest with you. I actually struggled to put him all the way at uh, wide receiver one for me. He, he ended up being number two for me and ranked 22 on my board. So the value was there for, for the 49ers at 36. And I was kind of one of the people who felt that the 49ers maybe needed to address the interior offensive line in the second round because I knew the depth of the wide receiver class. But I always kind of emphasize that if Debo was available, because I, I had felt that he was going to go in the first round, he would kind of be a great pick there at 36 because – you know, it's it's a bevy of things that he can do for the 49ers and how he fits, especially with Jimmy Garoppolo more so than Kyle Shanahan, just kind of got me excited for the potential of him in Santa Clara. 
I think one of my favorite stats for Debo Samuel, and this was from PFF from my friend uh, Jeff Dini, who's the 49ers media correspondent at Pro Football Focus. And uh, just watching the film, I knew that Debo Samuel was amazing on slant routes. And he, he it's, and it's, it's not hyperbole. He literally almost takes it to the house every single time he catches a slant. And he actually didn't run enough slants, I don't think. At and By the way, the first time I watched Debo, I was like, oh, this offense. And I think, I, I think I'm guilty of that with uh, Jalen Hurd a little bit. And some of these college offenses, uh, they're so hard to watch. I can't stand watching them. And so I ding <laughs> the player a little bit because of that. And Debo Samuel yeah. is one of those It's like, dude, can you let the, the man run some real routes? Because he's so good at it. And when I saw him at the Senior Bowl, I was like, okay, this dude is really good. And then I went back. And then I found the select spots where you can actually see him run the routes that you want to see him run as a pro. And uh, the slant route is one of those. He, he, he averaged 31 yards per catch on slants, which is kind of outrageous for a, for a shorter route. And so that's what I love about him, his competitiveness at the catch point and that run after the catch. What, what was your favorite thing about watching the Debo Samuel tape? Yeah, I, I think you bring up a few funny things there, just the, like the state of college offenses starting off. And I think that's a good point to start with Debo because you kind of have to look at his surroundings. I mean, Jake Bentley, his quarterback there in South Carolina, he might get some draft love next year. I personally didn't see it. And you can yes. kind of see that when you watch Debo specifically. And so he dealt with a lot of inconsistency. I mean, Will, uh, was Will, Will, not, so yeah, Will Muschamp was his coach. This is a guy that, you know, is kind of a defensive-minded guy. Not like where Jalen Hurd, at least he came from Matt Rule's offense, which is supposedly pretty innovative for the college level. And so Debo dealt with a lot of stuff. And so a slant route, which we all, everybody knows about, which may seem kind of easy, anytime he touched the ball, he had to do everything he could with it because you didn't know when he was going to get it again kind of thing. That first off, like you said, kind of speaks to what Debo does so well when people you know, talk about him. They go, when he catches the football, he turns into a running back. And that kind of speaks to the numbers you just brought up. But I personally don't think that really does him justice, to be honest with you, because he does a lot of special things with the football in his hands. And it kind of speaks to the player he is. And the thing that really stands out to me, Brian, is is the vision. And I I don't know if you pick that up when you're watching him, because when he catches the ball, how, how often are we watching games on our TVs and screaming at guys like, oh, my God, he ran right into the the defender. (laughs) <laughs> that never seemed to happen really with Debo. I mean, this guy really has an understanding for soft spots in not only the coverage, but just defenses in general. And he really can no wasted steps, right? I mean, this is a guy that I feel like the old generation of football would really love because he doesn't really get cute. He doesn't try to get fancy. He'll put his shoulder down and kind of run through a guy if he needs to be, but it's constantly going up the field. And it's weird to talk about it that way. That's such like a unique skill because, you know, with wide receiver play and even at the college level, People tend to get a little fancy, and that's not something you're going to see out of Debo. And that also just kind of, to me, speaks to the grit of who he is as a player because this dude is not afraid, obviously, to put his shoulder down. And he's just extremely talented with the football in his hands. And speaking to the 49ers, they lack that playmaker ability. And I feel like that's what they kind of got with Debo. And his stats and numbers don't speak to it just because of the inconsistencies in his specific offense. But overall, I mean, this guy can really do something with the football, and that's something that the 49ers dearly need. All right, we got to take a quick break here. More Debo after this. So you mentioned it there a little bit ago about uh, his competitiveness after the catch, and that's one of the things I love, and that's why he got the name Debo, because he's sort of greedy with the ball in his hands, and he wants to get every every bit of grass that he can and his name is not Debo it's Tyshun Samuel but he was you know a bully and would steal kids toys 
when he was a kid, basically, and he's, <laughs> he's got that mentality on the football awesome field. Story. He wants every single inch of grass he can find when he gets the ball in his hands. And I love that. There's that play at the end of the the Clemson game, and they were it was over. They were way out of it. He was fighting for every inch he could. The game was over, and mm-hmm. it was awesome to see yeah. that competitiveness and to go with the vision that he has as a runner. And uh, I love that with him. And he's got he can scoot a little bit. He's built. Oddly, for a wide receiver, they're, they're, I think there are good comps for him. I think Golden Tate is probably body-wise the best comp for mm-hmm. Debo Samuel, even though I think Samuel could be a little bit better than Golden Tate. Golden Tate's a really good football player, but a little bit more juice, I think, maybe in Debo. Maybe I'm selling Golden Tate short, but I would say Golden Tate with just a little sprinkle of Odell Beckham in there and actually uh, mm-hmm. height and weight is pretty close to what Odell Beckham was coming out of LSU. He's not as explosive as Odell was, but he does have good feet. Good runner after the catch, and that disposition of I'm going to get every single yard, and he's got some power to his running ability because of how he's built. And I think that's an element that, even though someone like uh, last year's second round pick in Dante Pettis is good after the catch and is quick and is limber and can make people miss, he doesn't have that physical strength that Debo has as a runner after the catch, which is why I think I like Debo Samuel more than I liked Dante Pettis last year. And I think he was a better prospect coming into the NFL. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I love the physicalness and it's, that's something to me that's a little bit tough to pick up on tape. I mean, you really have to watch and a guy that jumped out to me and I want to know what you think is, is you know, Jarvis Landry. It reminded me a little bit of with that side of the game, the competitiveness. Mm. I, I try to steer away from comps if I can, just because I don't feel like they do a ton of justice for the guys. I mean, obviously at this level, we can talk about it, but the first off, you know, Jarvis Landry was a guy just because of the toughness level and you watch him play and, you know, you can, you can feel the physicality when you're just watching him. But I mean, I think this guy, I mean, he's a tackle breaking machine. I mean, his balance off of content, contact it's not like hey this guy's gritty and he's gonna try and run through you no he's seriously talented and it shows I mean you brought up a PSF stat earlier one of the ones that I've written about when I was writing about Debo early on in the draft process I think he broke like PSF had him breaking 21 tackles on 62 catches or something like that so almost every you know every one in three catches this dude is breaking a tackle at some point and they weren't coming easy because you like I said watching South Carolina Everybody knew the football was coming to Debo Samuel. He was their best player. And, and that extended all the way out to the senior bowl where, you know, you talked about the character side of things. And I think that's a big thing that's super hard to judge when, when we're judge, when we're watching these players, right? I mean, you have to, you know, kind of know them. And I didn't get a ton of chance to talk to talk to Debo, but I did, you know, talk to him for a little bit. And it was me and a scrum with guys. And, I mean, I walked away from that, Brian, just going, I would not mess with this guy. I mean, he just had an effect on me where <laughs> you're talking in a room of 100 of the best prospects at the senior bowl. And I'm like, this little guy right here, who is a wide receiver, a slot wide receiver, is probably the alpha in the room. You know, if I'm, if I'm picking tough guys here, Debo Samuel is going to be number one, maybe on my power rankings. And did you call him a little guy? No, I definitely didn't. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love that. And, and I think you can get a lot. And I think that's where uh, NFL teams have a huge advantage over someone like, me that's trying to make evaluations and stuff mostly from just watching a player maybe you get some interviews and you 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 can definitely get an idea of what kind of a player a guy is but I think Mm. and good and bad for NFL teams they get that face-to-face in meetings and they talk to players and I think sometimes they can they can come upon a fraud where a player will sell them as a good interviewer and I know I've done some 
uh, management and I've done some hiring and some people will sell you. I've done it myself. I'm, I remember, uh, <laughs> I remember applying for a bartending job one time and I was like, oh man, I will, I will sweep the floors if I have to, you know, and, and later the manager was yeah. like, you know what, in the interview process, there was a few people, but uh, I like that you said you would sweep the floors and I'm like, yeah, don't hand me a broom, dude. Cause I'm definitely not doing that. But you know, And so I think there, yeah. I think teams can get sold on guys that maybe aren't, you know, they're just good in the interview process and they fall in love with the people. And in other cases, I know I've sat across from people for five minutes. I'm like, I don't want that guy. I don't want to work with that guy every day. I don't want to be around that player. So a good and bad, I think it can help teams. And I think Debo Samuel is one of those players where you're around him and he, he might have that effect on you. where are like, oh man, this guy is going to battle. I want to go to battle with him. And it sounds like you got that same uh, sort of vibe from him at the senior bowl. Yeah, no doubt. And it, you know, it's like the fake it till you make it mentality, but I just didn't feel that. And and talking, talk, you know, at media day at the Senior Bowl, you're talking to, it's kind of a free-for-all. You can talk to as many prospects as you possibly can. And I'm talking like sit down one-on-one to media scrums to everything. So you're going to get a lot of everything. And you're going to find those guys like you spoke about, like the fake until you make it guys. And you could kind of see like, this is very generic. But to me, Debo had the effect of just like the all-business mentality where people are trying to tee him up to ask like the sillier questions. or And he's kind of looking at him just answering kind of direct eye contact. And this was like, this is a men, man amongst boys kind of conversation <laughs> is what it seemed like to me, honestly. And I know that kind of seems like I'm really, really hyping this guy up, but I swear to you, I walked away and I was like, this guy's going to try and destroy everybody here. And that's kind of exactly what he did. I mean, I was out there and I wrote about and talked on 95, seven, the game with, you know, guys like Greg Papa and everyone I was telling them, I was like, you know, this was the best player on the field. And I truly believe that walking away. And what it felt like to me is that he was trying to prove that, right? I mean, we're watching practice every day. We're around these guys and talking to, talking to the different scouts and everything. And I remember standing there on the field, talking next to a guy and he's like, Hey, rock y'all sin. Cause I'm talking about Debo. And I'm like, man, this guy, blah, blah, blah. I really like him cover. You know, I work in the Bay area. 49ers might want him kind of thing like that. And he goes, rock y'all sin is about to lock him up right now. I love this guy. He's so physical and he's such a freak. And he, this, this kind of competition is catered to him. And he's going to show out and all these things. And Debo just cooked him. And I'm talking about like three or four different routes where it was like Rocky Austin needed to get away from him because they're just doing him bad as that, you know, as the day went on. And it, and it just kind of spoke to where I felt like Debo may have known that, you know, where it's like, we're going to go out here and prove things. Like this is not just a little show off where I can show off in front of certain people. It's like, I know I'm going to show everybody that I'm a bad dude kind of thing. And that, and that really spoke out to me. And I just, ever since that happened, I was like, man, I, I love this guy, you know? And he kind of stood up there at the top of just some of my favorite players from this specific class. And I'm happy that, that we, you know, we're lucky enough here, obviously in the Bay area to get to see this guy's career develop. Cause I think it's going to be a great thing for the 49ers. I love that, that he wants to prove it too. And it was funny cause the Rocky sin stuff, I watched a lot of Debo versus Rocky sin. And I was like, Oh man, uh, that corner's getting worked kind of. And then when you watch all the practices, Rocky sin was maybe the second best player there. He was really good against everybody, but Debo, uh, was, yeah. was awesome against him. So that was really what showed me. I was like, okay, it wasn't like some scrub that he was just beating like a drum. This guy was probably the best cornerback that week in Rocky Sin, and, and Debo Sabula was was having his way with him. So I love that, and I love that he's all business and he's all about proving it rather than just paying it lip service because everyone says the same stuff and gets coached up by their agents and have the the Instagrams where they're at the gym and the, the hashtag rise mm-hmm. and grind, which is all just like tired. It's like, I don't care about that. 
show me. And uh, Debo Samuel is definitely the type of guy who's going to show you. And he's been doing it his whole life. That's why he has the name Debo. And he carries that uh, that ability. And he did it in South Carolina. And and now we're going to see him hopefully do that for the 49ers. Now, as far as a scheme fit, where do you see Debo Samuel? And and how do you like him fitting in with the 49ers specifically? I I, I like it. And I I see, I mean, I was really interested to see where obviously he lined up because I think some of the guys they have in that wide receiver room, one thing that Kyle Shanahan likes is versatility, right? And we saw that kind of with the already to the rookie minicamp because there's reports, you know, he's lining up inside and out. And that's what I would expect him to see. The biggest kind of fit thing that stands out with me is how talented Devo was, right? With everything we've talked about from the coaching that he had to kind of the players around him at South Carolina and what he does well, right? The things with the football in his hands. Well, what we know about Jimmy Garoppolo, this is a, and this is not a knock on Jimmy Garoppolo, but he's a talented underneath thrower, right? It, whether it's the different arm angles to throwing guys open, he can, seems to has been very successful with that. We're making guys like Trent Taylor look good, Kendrick Bourne look good. All of these guys have been in and out of that Santa Clara wide receiver room. And I think Devo does all those things probably better than all of those guys. And so that's why one thing that really stands out to me where, like you said, this guy runs an incredible slant. And he ran a lot of different, you know, he's a polished route runner at, at the college level in an offense that didn't really call for it. So you put him in a room with Kyle Shanahan and the coaching, you know, and if everything like I've been saying about the seriousness and all of those things, and you have Jimmy Garoppolo throwing him the football, who's, you know, a very successful passer underneath, and you have Kyle Shanahan drawing him up routes. And I could see this guy lined up flanked next to George Kittle or all the way on the outside. I mean, I could really see a little bit of everything. And I think that's why, you know, the 49ers valued him enough to go and get him at 36 and then, you know, even be willing to double dip on wide receivers. To me, you know, the Jalen Hurd pick was a guy that they, Kyle Shanahan probably wanted and needed for his offense. And that's like a want pick where almost Debo to me stood out like you can't pass up on this guy so we have to take him even if there were needs elsewhere so I I really like the fit for you know those specific reasons but overall I just this this wide receiver room just desperately needs a playmaker as good as you know Dante Pettis could potentially be and you know the green breaker that Marquise Goodwin is we just haven't seen it you know it's it's inconsistent and I think Debo brings a level of consistency that the 49ers really haven't had under Kyle Shanahan, you know, from the start of his career there. Yeah. And you mentioned the versatility and it was one of those things where it's like, okay, as soon as Kyle Shanahan started talking about, well, I want Marquise Goodwin and Dante Pettis to compete at the X spot. It was like, okay, well, he's looking for that flanker, looking for that Z wide receiver. And Debo just seemed to fit that perfectly with how Garoppolo plays with that quick release over the middle, who can win over the middle, but also play on the outside and win down the field a little bit, run after the catch, all the things that you know that Kyle Shanahan likes about a receiver, seeing him dominate and be the best player at the senior bowl, coaching, being coached by Kyle Shanahan, playing the Z in his offense at the senior bowl. It was like the most obvious pick for a second round pick. Usually they're not that obvious, but it's like, it's gotta be Debo. There's no way the 49ers are going to not draft Debo with the need, with the fit and everything. If he's sitting there in the second round and sure enough, it was Debo Samuel to the 49ers. And I love that versatility, being able to move outside, inside, they can put him in motion, do a lot of things that Kyle Shanahan likes to do and make things difficult on a defense. So Debo Samuel should be that guy. And I think it's fair to say that both you and I sign off on Debo being uh, being probably the number one guy eventually, if not right away, for the 49ers at the wide receiver position. Yeah, I agree. And I have really high hopes for Dante Pettis. We were talking a year ago from now. I would have been hyping up Dante Pettis like this. And I still see the, the potential there, even though maybe 
we didn't see what we wanted in year one. But I think that those two guys specifically are just a kind of a – if I had two young wide receivers of the last two drafts, those are probably the two guys that I would pick for my team because of the versatility and the route running ability and just the sense of polish and the refinement. I know that's such like a draft buzzword, you know, refinement. But I think it, it goes to be said for these two guys specifically where as route runners, knowing how to create separation, because I believe, you know, from a wide receiver, the NFL is all about, you know, game of separation. And if you can generate that, you probably can get the football and do everything else because you're already athletic and skilled enough to be out there on an NFL field. But if you can create that separation, that's just a game changer, I feel like. And it's surprisingly something that everybody can't do at the NFL level, you know? And I think that these two guys can really do that. And, and that's why I really like the pairing there. And I'm kind of, you know, even keel with Kyle Shanahan on, on these two last picks. And I think that this is, you know, two guys that can just be successful with Jimmy Garoppolo specifically. All right, time for a quick break. More with Tommy Call. We're going to get into the defensive backfield and answer the question, did the 49ers do enough there this offseason to solidify that group? Looking at Debo Samuel, I, before we get to, we're going to talk a little bit about the secondary here as well. But with Debo, and we've been keeping praise on him here, if I will say there's maybe a, not not even a downside necessarily to Debo Samuel, but he's not your Julio Jones or something. You know, he's not going to be that guy mm-hmm. where people are, just afraid and he's a complete matchup nightmare, but he can separate. And that's obviously Kyle Shanahan wants to see guys do what he wants them to do. And the NFL wants to be able to see them do that on the college level, which is why some of the the players like DK Metcalf or uh, Hakeem Butler, even though I love those guys as prospects, I knew they weren't going to end up being 49ers just because they're not Kyle Shanahan's type. He wants to see that separation, the pure hands and have a little bit more of a finished product as far as, as that goes. And, and it's a little bit tougher for bigger receivers to be that, especially in the college level, especially when you're a younger player like uh, DK, who only played, you know, two and a half seasons in college. But uh, Debo's not what, I mean, he could be the number one wide receiver for the 49ers, but he's not that guy that people are like, oh, this is a true number one type wide receiver, which isn't a bad thing. And it's not a knock on Debo. And this class had a lot of guys who were probably going to be really good number two type wide receivers. So that's that depth you spoke of where it was like, okay, well, maybe you go to another position in round two because it's so deep. And we saw some really good players even go undrafted at wide receiver just mm. because there were so many and, and multiple teams even doubled up like the 49ers did at wide receiver. And there were still a ton of guys. So I will say that value-wise, and if the 49ers have, like, say, three or four number two wide receivers and an elite tight end on top of that, that's great. I mean, you don't have to have – and the true number one wide receiver is almost a myth at this point because there's so few of those guys anyway, so it's hard to chase that. So, you know, if he's a really great number two, that's all fine, and that's totally worth where he was drafted, even even if he's not Julio Jones. Yeah, and I think that's why you pay a coach like Kyle Shanahan, right? Like, that's why – you kind of invest yeah. all in on this offensive innovator, right? Because, this, you know, hopefully you don't need things like that. And that's kind of why I was even skeptical of the 49ers drafting a wide receiver in the second round even, where hopefully that, you know, this how Shannon has been successful with guys like Kendrick Bourne and Trent Taylor, who I brought up earlier, and, you know, another ca- a, a bunch of different kind of interchangeable cast of characters that they've had as wide receivers in his tenure as a coach. And what you spoke about, it's like Kyle Shanahan – from what we see, I mean, even going back to drafting Dante Pettis, did you get the vibe he was going to be that Julio Jones as wide receiver one? Probably not. More of a number two type of guy. And even every signing that they've had has been similar to that. And my thinking is just like Kyle Shanahan hopefully doesn't need that, where they'd rather have the versatility of multiple guys. Think of, you know, the Patriots, for example. It seems like they do it year in and year out with, 
you know, obviously a bunch of talented guys with Edelman and going back to Welker and even Josh Gordon when he was available, things like that. But overall, one thing we know about the 49ers is, uh, is Rob Gronkowski's been their guy. Maybe that's just for the case for George Kittle this upcoming season. Those kind of things all kind of seem to me. And I honestly just think that the age of the wide receiver one with just the offensive innovators that we have calling plays nowadays in the NFL might be a little bit shorter. And if we think about the draft this past year, what only one wide receiver, uh, you know, went in the first round and you talk about DK Metcalf who, you know, went later than everybody expected, you know, even myself. And I wasn't even a massive DK guy and Hakeem Butler, who you brought up a guy I love went way later. And I, that just might speak to kind of where we are in the NFL. And it wouldn't surprise me if that's a trend going forward. You know, that's a great segue to talking about defensive backs because I think we're at the age where coverage is super important, but just it's the the depth and the number of wide receivers and the number of weapons that are on an offense. You look at the 49ers and what they're going to run out there at wide receiver and tight end and OWs and running backs that could line up anywhere. You need a lot of people, linebackers, safeties, and corners that can all cover, that are all good in coverage, or they're just going to destroy the the weak part of your defense. And so when it comes to that pass rush versus coverage and defensive backs debate, I'm on the the pass rush side of that debate just because if you have that one stud rusher, that can make a huge difference and impact the offense. And you just need, I think you need depth and you need numbers at wide receiver. You need numbers at defensive back and a bunch of guys that can cover more so than you need that stud shutdown cornerback. So basically if I was drafting a team from scratch, I would go pass rusher first then cornerback, then wide receiver, in that sort of an order. Uh, how do you see that, and do you think the 49ers did enough in the secondary, basically just adding Jason Verrett, keeping the same group from last year, and then adding, obviously, the stud edge guys, Bosa and D Ford? Is that going to work for the 49ers defense, do you think? Yeah, I believe so, and I think just it's a very interesting question and kind of interesting topic that we're going to see kind of come to fruition really quickly, specifically with the 49ers, because how I based it was, and this was, I, I was kind of like, eh, why wouldn't the 49ers go after, you know, a, a secondary option in the draft? Because this secondary class, similar to the wide receiver, was at least interesting, an interesting group of players. But how it was explained to me, it's like, yo, if you draft a guy in the second or third round, and you've already spent picks on guys like Akilah Witherspoon and even Tavares Moore, and you sign Jason Brett, you know, what are we really getting out of proof for these guys, right? And that's one thing that drove me crazy about how um, – the 49ers handled the development of this secondary. It was so inconsistent. Guys playing in and out consistently where we don't know. I still don't know who Akilah Witherspoon is. Yeah. I like some of the traits that he has, but overall, I, I, I just don't, I'm not ready to call him bad, nor am I ready to say he's great. Like, and we're going to have to find that out soon. And the best way to do that is letting them play. But with the whole edge rushing kind of conversation brought into it, I think that the 49ers handled this specifically well because of the guys that they have there. We talk so much about, oh my gosh, the, four, the 49ers, they have you know five picks on the defensive line, 10 picks on the defensive line, whatever you want to say, you know, with all these guys that they have up there, all these talented players. Well, you add a guy like Nick Bosa, and it kind of causes a ripple effect, in my opinion, to the whole defense going back because, you know, talking to, I've, you know, kind of picked the brains of some of the, you know, former players that we have at 95-7, and it's like, having a pass rush can do wonders for the secondary, right? Because the timing is so much quicker. You don't have to cover for as long. That's such a basic, I feel like concept, but it consistently gets overlooked. And then you talk about the defensive line specifically, and it's like now DeForest Buckner 
is playing next to the best player he's ever played next next to with a guy like Nick Bosa. So now you have interior pressure with one of the better interior defensive linemen in the league with DeForest Buckner, and then you have interesting edge rushers on the outside with Steve Ford and Nick Bosa. So I think it's kind of a whole, I'm just going to keep saying ripple effect because that's the best way that I've been able to describe it as that 49ers pick because no, they didn't address guys. And I, I like what Jason Brett could potentially bring. He was kind of a guy I had a star next to of who could come here to Santa Clara and maybe do something special. But, you know, this is a thing that hopefully makes, you know, Akilah Witherspoon and Tavares Moore and all these young guys, Adrian Colbert, Marcel Harris, even these guys, hopefully better. And I think that what we've seen the kind of from this offseason from John Lynch, he I feel like he believes that, too, because so much you know, attention was addressed to those defensive linemen that now we're not stuck with this group as defensive backs, but I think that we're going to see who these guys are. And Nick Bosa only helps them, if that makes sense. That makes total sense, and that's definitely, I think, the the wavelength that the 49ers were on, adding those pass rushers and thinking they're going to be pretty good in the secondary. And, and Verrett, if he's healthy, and it's a big if, is going to be a huge boost because he's just an awesome player when he's healthy. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's a big if. And... Uh, Jimmy Ward, because th- to me it was like, okay, if you're going to keep running cover three, that's fine too. And maybe you've got you know your your long developmental type of cornerbacks to go across from Richard Sherman, but get that free safety. Make sure you've got that because Jimmy Ward, they re-signed him on a one-year deal. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. So basically the start of training camp, the 49ers could be sitting there thinking, okay, well, now Ward is hurt, so we have Adrian Colbert. And he better be ready. He better be the guy or else we're going to have problems in one of the most important positions on this defense is that center fielder in the cover three scheme. So that's the spot that if they're going to keep running loads of cover three, that's that's the, specifically the one position that worries me. And if they're going to run more man, then, you know, these corners are going to have to be able to cover and uh, you're not always going to get home. So I, I have a lot of questions there still. And health is probably the number one. So it's the depth that could really come back to haunt the 49ers because, I mean, by week one and probably by week eight, there's a good chance that either Verrett or Jimmy Ward are not in the lineup. And then it's going to be like, okay, it's on Colbert. It's on, uh, it's on Akella Witherspoon. And like you said, I agree with you. I don't know if he's good or bad. I have no idea yet. And if I don't know how good Akella Witherspoon is, I definitely don't know how good Tarvarius Moore is. So I don't know what to think about him either. Cause we just haven't seen him at all. And maybe he ends up being a safety who knows, but it's just, uh, it's a lot of question marks and they didn't really do anything to address it. And, Basically, at this point, it's that's this is the group. So you hope they're right, and the pass rush is enough, and it fixes everything on the back end as well for the 49ers. Yeah, I agree. And the one thing that really sticks out to me, what you said, is just the depth concerns. And, and that's what you kind of deal with when you draft a punter in the fourth round, you double dip on wide receivers, you know, and things like that. And you, you put more attention towards maybe offensive playmakers than depth. And that was the biggest surprise to me because this team has struggled deeply with depth almost at every level you know of of every position across the board really you know and 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 they've had success with finding guys what they're able to do you talk about a Matt Breida or or guys like that you know even Fred Warner getting put into the limelight right away last season you know obviously showed some good things but then we've seen bad things like the interchangeable guys at defensive back like we just spoke about and you know that was the biggest thing that stuck out to me of this draft class is there's some serious depth at a lot of positions there and the 49ers you know, went after it with wide receiver, but then you're stuck, like you said, with with this group here at defensive back, and they're kind of you know shaking hands with the devil there with drafting a drafting a punter instead of you know maybe acquiring a defensive back there, and that's that's those are going to be some things that you know next year this time before the draft that we're definitely going to be looking at it whether it worked whether it didn't you know. 
Yeah, and I, that's why I called that third and fourth round sort of luxury picks for the 49ers, and I wasn't sure they had sure. that luxury because of the depth in the secondary. And another topic, because we're out of time that we can't get into, it's probably worth another full episode, is that depth on the offensive line, and you touched on that a little bit earlier, and that might be just as worrisome as uh, the depth in the secondary. And it's the other, it's that that's that other thing. It's the secondary and the offensive line. The depth there is, I think, the, the two units that could potentially haunt the 49ers this season. It's a little scary, but it's also a little fun, right, Brian? <laughs> That's what it's like uh, jumping out of a plane, man. That's what makes it fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's always fun to talk to you, Tommy. We got to do it again sometime soon. And yes, I sir. really appreciate you coming on the show. Of course, man. It was a blast. I, I love it. And uh, thank you for enjoy- uh, inviting me, man. It was, it was really fun. And can you tell everybody where to find you on Twitter and at 95.7 The Game? Yeah, you can follow me uh, at Tommy underscore III on the third. And yeah, I'm just uh, 95.7 The Game's NFL writer. You will hear me on 95.7 The Game here in and here out uh, every once in a while, obviously when we're talking about 49ers. But, you know, we got a lot of fun stuff planned for you guys, especially 49er fans with podcasts and all that fun stuff as football season approaches. And we're going to be out there at training camp. And I'm excited, man. I can't wait, wait for it to be here. The draft is obviously so much fun. But, you know, we want to see these guys on the field now with the pads and everything. You only get a little taste of it now. So really exciting, you know, as football season approaches. Beautiful, great stuff. Thanks again, Tommy, for joining the show. Find him on Twitter at Tommy underscore III. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Be back tomorrow, another Winky Wednesday right here on Locked on 49ers.